We're going to pick up where we left off last week with verse 3. You know, the, uh, prior to last week, we had two Sundays where we looked at the church at Ephesus from a 30,000-foot view, um, where we examined its, its birth, its life, growth, then what ultimately appears to be its death. And then last week, we actually started journeying through the text, looking at Paul's introduction in verses 1 and 2, about who he is as a person, about um, his authority uh, that he speaks from, um, looked at the summation of the gospel that he gives, not only here in Ephesians, but in many of his letters, whenever he says to them, grace and peace, Those two words are really a summation of the gospel itself. And if you've missed any of those weeks, I encourage you to catch up. I'm a couple weeks behind on getting those sermons posted. I promise to get that uh, updated completely this afternoon. So so catch up if you've missed those because everything builds on the, the next. So I hope you'll do that. And one of the things that I didn't mention last week, just as we get into the introduction part of Ephesians, Paul is, is writing this as a prisoner. He is in Rome, incarcerated there. Whenever he's writing this letter, we see that in Ephesians 3.1. We see it in 4.1 where he talks about being in prison. And so the church heavy upon his mind, believers that he has spent time with, places he's planted the gospel and preached. We know in Ephesus, he spent a couple years there, so no doubt very near and dear to his heart. And so while he is writing this letter to to them, it's primarily directed to the church at Ephesus, but without question, um, it was circulated amongst many of the churches there in Asia Minor, minor in Turkey, uh, that region, and, and there's great reason why it would have been. That's because the, the letter itself deals with church truth in general. I mean, we, we know that Paul gets very specific in some of his letters. Read the Corinthian letters. Read Thessalonians. Paul's very, very specific about specific things that are taking place in the church. But, but in Ephesians, it's, this very, it's just general truth about the church itself. So it makes complete sense that it would be circulated. It's still circulating, right? We're still talking about it here today because its truth is as applicable today in 2014 as it was in 62 AD. So it's, it's very, uh, it transcends time, it transcends location. That's what God's Word always does. And that's why even like the Corinthian letters that are specific still apply because those things that they struggled with, guess what? Those struggles still exist in churches and in our personal lives today. So it applies all the way around. And we know that we can always benefit from something that someone else is being taught, right? So uh, someone may be addressing an issue. Sometimes we just want to listen because we know that there's something that we can glean from that, something that we can learn from that. And that's what's happening here for us as well. And along with this, in, in every sense, Ephesians is Paul's greatest word on the church. And we know he deals with all kinds of things, but Ephesians is his greatest word on the church, teaching us what the church is in the, in the mind of God and what it ought to be in the practice of the eyes of men. So, I mean, we see it from, he gives us that, that God's view of what the church ought to be, and then, hey, here's ground level. This is what what people ought to see happening with the church itself, what it looks like in, in practice. And so as we sort of walk through here, you'll see those truths unfolding as we walk through the verses and the chapters. 
and, and the theme that Paul gives us of Christ and the church and that the eternal plan of God is to gather all things together under Christ. Uh, and so as we begin the letters, we're about to get into to verse 3 today. It, it begins in eternity past. So all that, that Paul's going to take us all the way back before the earth was created. And then he's going to take us all the way forward to eternity future and everything in between. So he's covering the full gamut of time here. And Paul helps us see the believer seated in the heavenlies, because that's, that's where we're headed. That's where we're going as believers, but also walking with Christ here on earth, fighting against Satan. We see that in Ephesians 6. And, and while Ephesians does not tell us all that God wants us to know about the church itself. There is no part, really, of Scripture that we find that soars any higher when it comes to church doctrine or really the practical implications of that church doctrine and how that's lived out here on earth. And, and through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in, in chapter 1, verse 10, he teaches us that, that God's ultimate purpose, as I just stated a moment ago, is to bring all things in heaven and on earth, together under one head, and that head is Jesus Christ. And we talked about, in, particularly in the first two sermons introducing the church at Ephesus, we talked about the issue of unity and love that was lacking there in Ephesus. And Paul addresses that theme here in his letter. And the only way, the true way, if you will, to find unity is defined it in Christ. That, that's the only way to, to really have unity. As Paul says in verse 10 again, to bring all those things together under one head, and that is Jesus Christ. That's real unity. You, you can't have two heads in function. It's just impossible. I mean, if you have... One of, one of our favorite shows, I'm sure some of you have watched... Any of you ever watched the show Restaurant Impossible? Really? Oh, okay, okay. We, we, we understand good television, Mark. There's a few of us that do. Um, I love the show. It's one of our favorite shows. We used to watch it all the time when we had cable. We got rid of cable, and we, just, we, we watch everything on Netflix now. And They've recently added that in, so we're all fired up. We're watching Restaurant Impossible uh, when we have opportunity. And, and it's interesting to watch Robert Irvine, who's a chef and a restaurant owner. He goes into these places... And, I mean, really, if you want to pull back layers, he's almost their savior. You know, he's going he's to come in and save their families and save their restaurant. So, uh, but as you pull, uh, sort of as you pull back and you watch what's happening, you see that in a lot of cases in these restaurants, the problem isn't just they have bad food or they have bad service. It's that they have too many heads. The, the, the restaurant is, is, is falling apart because you've got too many decision makers. You've got this person saying one thing and then this person over here saying something else. There's no unity because there's no single head. There's, there's, there's conflict because you've got too many chiefs. That's what happens. A body can't survive. In those cases, those restaurants that are dying, it's because they don't have one head. There's not one singular person in leadership. Well, God is bringing everything in heaven and on earth together under one head. And that head is Jesus Christ. And under His authority, we will find true unity and true love fleshing itself out in everyday life. So let's jump in. We're going 
We're going to read the first four. Uh, we, read, we obviously looked at verses 1 and 2 last week, but we're going to read all 14 verses for full context here, and then we'll kind of start walking through it. So, Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were first, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. God, how incredible these words are that Paul penned, inspired by the Spirit. God, I pray over the coming weeks as we walk through these verses that these truths that He gives us here will penetrate our hearts and minds. God, help us to see who You really are, what You have done, what you continue to do. Father, help us to see that the source of all that we have and all that we hope to have is in Jesus and Him alone. So quicken our hearts, convict us of sin. God, where we may be looking to other sources to provide joy and fulfillment and contentment. And help us see that our only hope is Jesus. May you do these things for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we we get here into verse 3, we find that it really is the key verse for this part of Paul's letter. It's really a summation of all that he talks about in the following 11 verses. So from verses 3 to 14, you really can summarize it there in verse 3. And then he breaks it down into far more detail in those following verses. So just let me read verse 3 one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And Paul starts the verse or the sentence there with blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, he's starting this thing out with a blessing. So he, he tells them who he is, commends the gospel to them, And then he says, now, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's starting with a blessing. He's starting with a praise, immediately directing our minds and our hearts toward the Father. Now, that seems simplistic, right? I mean, you go, okay, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, that... In, in, the, in spiritual conversations, that's how that's supposed to work. That's the Sunday school answer if we were to ask the question. 
And, and th- that's true, but in, in real life, just everyday life for you, everyday life for me, we need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded that we need to look somewhere other than ourselves. That we need to look beyond self, beyond circumstances, beyond what I'm living in right now, and look to God. And if we're honest, if we're just real, sometimes that's hard to do, isn't it? Because we get stuck in the muck and the mire of life, and our circumstances just flat out stink. And we just feel like God's forgotten. Blessed be God. Has God looked to see where I am? Does he understand what I'm walking through? Yes. Remember the guy writing this? Where is he? Is he sitting in some plush place, got it like he likes it? No, he's, he's incarcerated. He's imprisoned. He's not exactly, you know, living in one of those trip advisors. Hey, this is the number one place to visit when you travel. He's, he's in jail. You say, well, it was house arrest. It wasn't that bad. Really? Have you tried that? I, I, how many of you like it whenever you're sick and you can't get out? That's no fun. Walls start closing in, don't they? If, if we're not careful, our mindset is whenever life gets really bad, we have a hard time looking beyond ourselves. So Paul starts immediately directing our hearts and our minds to the Father. Hey, let's get our eyes off self. Let's get our eyes off circumstances. Let's look to God. Let's look to the Father. All right, so he says we are to extol the Father. And notice immediately... Paul ties us in relationship with the Father because of Jesus. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So if He is Christ's God and Father, then guess what? He is our God and Father because we are eternally connected to Him through our relationship with Christ. And Paul also gives us reason as to why we should be blessing the Father. He goes on to say, who, talking about the Father, has blessed us in Christ. Notice that that Paul indicates that the Father has blessed, meaning that this is something that's already occurred. It's it's done. It's official. So I'm just praying God will bless me. He has! He has already blessed you in Christ. That happened at the point of salvation. Whenever you became a believer, when God opened your heart and mind called you, you realized you were a sinner. He allowed, granted to you faith and repentance, and you believed in Jesus, you were blessed immediately in Christ. You received everything. It's done. It's official. And and he goes on. He does. He defines how we are blessed or the source of our blessings. Now, obviously, the the world teaches a lot about what blessings are. There are a lot of pastors and teachers and preachers, so-called evangelists, that that will teach you all kind of things about what blessings are. The problem is, a lot of times, they're not true because they're earthly and not heavenly. Why should we not stand here all the time and talk about earthly blessings? Because, man, those things come and go, don't they? I mean, it's like I said... Circumstances have been going great for you right now, and 12 hours later, your world just got ripped apart. Happens, doesn't it? 
which is also a great reminder for us that, hey, if things stink right now, hang on about 12, 24 hours. You just never know. It may be totally different. That's life, isn't it? Life does. I mean, it's, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. But with God, it's just, it's just like this. It's always steady. It's always good. It's always right. When, when our focus becomes the blessing, thinking about those earthly things, our focus isn't toward God, where Paul started us. It becomes here. It becomes self. Sometimes it's the blessing or, or the, the person that's receiving the blessing. It's not hard to do that, is it? It's not hard at all. Now, a lot of times, you know, I need that reminder from Paul to look to God because sometimes I get to praying so much for God to bless me with this and bless me with that that, that my attention's all on me and what I want God to do rather than God who He is and what He desires to do. See how easy that is for us to do? We, we get so stuck in the here and now and we're missing what God's doing. Being blessed, as much as we may think it's this way, isn't about the size of our bank accounts the size of our house, the condition of our house, the make or model of the car we drive. It's not about the clothes we wear, the, the job titles that we have, the clubs that we're members of, the groups that we hang out. That's really not what it's about. Is there anything wrong with those things? Not in and of themselves, no. But, but if, we, if that's all we focus on, and we've missed the point. Those things are nice, but they're meaningless in the scope of eternity meaningless. Our blessing is not found in the things we own, but in who owns us. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Paul says that our blessings aren't just in Christ. Christ is our blessing. Because He is everything we will ever need. He's the one thing that we can't lose because he's not going to lose us. He, he, he prayed and he was talking to the Father. He said, hey, Father, all those that you have given me, I haven't lost them. And I'm not going to. And there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So bankruptcy, physical um, health failing, Terrible situations, calamity, disaster, whatever, you name it, can't separate us from the love of God. So we belong to Him. Now, that's the one thing we can't lose. That's why all those other things, they're nice. They may be comfortable. They may be fun. But they're fading. Jesus is the one thing that we won't lose. So we're not just blessed in Christ. We're blessed by Christ, by who He is, that He now belongs to us. We belong to Him. He is our everything. Just as, and just as you read about in the Old Testament, you see repeatedly the children always wanted to receive the Father's blessing. And, and even still now today, the Father gives us that blessing. He gives us His all in the gift of Christ to us. So we're like that firstborn that receives the blessing. We all get that. And we get it in Jesus. The Father has blessed us in Christ. In verses 3 through 14, we find Paul referencing in Him, in Christ, or in the Beloved eight different times. Paul wants us to understand that this is really all about Jesus, not just about the things that we think we need. So when I'm talking to my children, 
or if you're just talking to any, if you, if think about it, if you're talking to anybody in general and you're wanting to reinforce truth, you're wanting them to get something that goes deep in their hearts and deep in their minds, what do you do? You repeat it over and over and over. You repeat, repeat it in different ways. You know, I remember reading and, and hearing some experts say, and I don't know who the experts are, but you know, we often reference the experts and really not sure who they always are. It's like there's this group of experts out there that know everything. But they say that we, um, to really reinforce something for people to get something, me and, me and you, we have to get it seven different times and in different ways. That's kind of unnerving, isn't it? That we have to hear something repeated that many times, that many different ways for it to really stick. But if you think about it, it's true, isn't it? The way that we teach things and the way that we learn things, we see things, we smell things, we hear things. And takes all of that. So Paul's doing that here in the way that he's presenting these truths. He's, he's laying the foundation for all that he's going to teach us in the rest of the letter. And, and bottom line, he's just saying this is all about Jesus. Every bit of it. That Christ is our all. He's our everything. We are blessed in Him. So it's about perspective. You see, our perspective affects everything. The way we see life and the way we live life. When, when we grab hold of the truth of God or an actuality as we spend time in it and it grabs hold of us, our perspective will change. And that's exactly what Paul is wanting the members of the church at Ephesus to do, to live a life of praise and blessing to God because he has blessed us in Christ. It's not just about an event. When we talk about a, you know, praise or blessing, he's not talking about an event. He's talking about a life. This is how our life should be lived every day. But how often do we think, oh yeah, that's a church service. That's an event. You know what? Now, we don't have many hand wavers here. Um, but some people, you know, I think, man, they just get all into it. It doesn't do any good for you to be a person that's all about worship and, man, you just all into the music and you're just waving your hands and jumping up and down and loving Jesus, but you, you live in sin the other six days of the week. That's just fake. That's just living in the moment. That's just you getting caught up in music. And the same is true. Let's go the opposite. Maybe you're not a hand waver. Maybe you're not, but, but, but you're more more solemn, more serious about this. This is serious stuff. And, and so you, you, you pay attention, you listen, you apply. You know, during that time, you take great notes. But then you don't live at all like Jesus the other six days of the week. You're just deluding yourself. That's all you're doing. You're pretending too. Both, both pretend. Paul's saying, this, listen, this is not about some event. This is not about a one-time thing. This is about a lifestyle. This is every day. We're to live a life of praise and blessing. And when we understand that truth, our perspective begins to shift, and we understand it is not about us at all. It's really all about Him. It's all about Christ, that He is the source of our blessing. And in verses 3 through 14, Paul shows us that it is in Christ that the Father has chosen us, the Father has adopted us, and that He's accepted us. Look at verse 4. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Listen, let me read a couple other verses to you as well. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-14. Paul says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus. Then John 6.37 says, This is Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Before the foundation of the world was laid, God determined all who would believe on His Son should be saved. He laid that out. Before He began to put everything in its place, God laid out a plan and determined all that believed on His Son would be saved. Now, this is where in some circles it can get a bit sticky and where some people decide to part company, which is absolutely insane and crazy to me. What are we talking about? What's Paul talking about? We're well, talking about the doctrine of election. And, and that's not a bad word. That's a good word. That's a comforting word. All right. So just so you know, we're not going to spend the rest of this time this morning unpacking election. Um, there's a time for that. I'm not going to do that this morning. And the truth is, is election is, honestly, it's not something that we can fully explain either. Um, but it is something that, I love what Warren Wearsby said about it. He said we can fully enjoy it. He, he says also, do not try to explain away the mystery of grace. God did not choose us in ourselves. He chose us in Christ by grace. I, I love what he says there. Don't try to explain away the mystery of grace. This is so true. When it comes to this issue of election and predestination, you go, I didn't know that there was a controversy. I promise you there is. There, there is. And, and really what's at the heart of a lot of it is the mystery. It's the mystery of it. It's, it's not being able to give a logical explanation of how it all works. All right? We, 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 gotta have an, we feel like we have to have an explanation for everything, don't we? We We do. But, but there's some things we just don't fully understand, and that's okay. We just know this is what God says, and we just go, hey, that's good. I'm taking comfort in the fact that God said he has done these things, and so that's awesome. So to overemphasize election over personal responsibility is wrong in my opinion, and to overemphasize personal responsibility over election, in my opinion, is wrong. We shouldn't be consumed with or fear things in the Bible that we sometimes don't fully understand. Remember, it is the mystery of grace. Now, I'm going to step out on a limb here and, and bet that as you've walked with Jesus, there are things that you understand about the Bible and about God and doctrine and theology that you didn't understand 10 years ago. Why do you understand it now? Got a little bit older. You've matured. You've walked. You've learned things things just start to make sense to you. I, I was, um, it's come up a couple times over the past couple weeks uh, in conversations uh, with individuals about I, something to the effect that there's no way I would go back and listen to, I think I even may have mentioned it here, I wouldn't go back and listen to some of those sermons whenever I first preached them back years and years ago. There's no way. I know, I remember some of the things I say and it scares me to death. I think that's borderline heresy. 
wasn't my intent. Why is it different today? Because hopefully as I've walked with Jesus, I've matured and I understand things and I say things a little bit differently. You know, there's that youthful arrogance you say it and there it is. And, and you grow in grace. So things that we don't fully understand, that's not something we should fear. It's just something we go, okay, I don't fully grasp this, but I'm going to walk and in, in, in stay faithful and over time, hopefully, God will help me understand these things. Remember, this really is the mystery of grace. C.S. Lewis said something to the effect, my problem isn't with the things of the Bible I don't understand. <laughs> it's with the things that I do. You know, I have a hard enough time with these things that I do understand. I'm trying to live these out, you know. Why in the world should I get bent out of shape over these other things? I mean, I'm just trying to be faithful in what I know. So whenever, I mean, this is, this is such a poor illustration, and, and you, could, you could find ways to tear it apart. Um, it's so hard sometimes to explain fully this, this idea of God's election and predestination. We'll go into it further in, in future sermons, but it, it, you know, you probably have heard that illustration of the train tracks. You know, they really do. They run parallel. God's, God's election, his predestination, along with our personal responsibility. I mean, it, it's both. So how does all that work? Well, it's, it's, it's a mystery. It really is. It's a mystery of grace. But I know this, God sovereignly does things and yet still holds people accountable at the same time. I, mean, I think you've heard me reference Jeremiah often because I've been spending a lot of time in Jeremiah and God has raised up Babylon to, to be his instrument, to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel and, and other neighboring nations as well. And God's sovereignly using them to do what he wants them to do, yet at the same time, you're finding out there toward the end, God is pronouncing judgment on Babylon because of who they are and what they do. And you go, I don't get that. Well, you kind of do, a little bit, but there's still a mystery to it as well. And so we know that, that, that you don't overemphasize one over the other. There is God's sovereignty over all this, His providence, and then there's human responsibility. You may remember from a couple, few weeks ago, whenever we listened to the sermon from David Platt about uh, the mission sermon, and, you know, he talked about his plane being delayed. He was trying to get overseas somewhere in Asia, and you know, it God was providential over that whole thing. He was sovereign over all of it. Yet Delta was responsible. Same thing in our lives. Okay, God is sovereign over our lives. God's provident, but we still there's responsibility on our part as well. All right. So before God even put the world in motion, before Adam and Eve sinned. God chose us in Him. And just let that reality, let that truth sink into your heart. Way back before that happened, those thousands of years ago, God already chose you. It was already done. Way back then. And He goes on to say in that verse that the Father chose us in Him that we should be what? Holy and blameless. Is it holy? I mean, is it possible to be holy and blameless apart from Christ? No. It's impossible. To be holy means to be set apart for God in order to reflect His purity. To, we're a reflection of who He is. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 15-16, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You know the old saying, we're to be 
in the world, but not of the world. Before the very foundation of the world, God set us apart to be different. Completely different than the rest of the world. God knew that the world and mankind would fall. Okay? When, when things happened in the garden, God didn't go, oh, I can't believe this happened. I had no idea that they would do that. God knew all that. So He chose us in Christ that we should be holy and blameless. He made a way even knowing that we were going to mess things up. He desires that we be like Him, that we reflect His characteristics, His traits to the world. You know, I've heard things like this before. You probably have too. Where people said, you know what? I, this would be like a dad's. Man, I just don't want, my, I don't want my son to be like me. Okay, really? Then you need to change. If, if you don't want someone to, to, to grow up and be like you, you need to change. Something, something needs to happen there. See, God never says that. Jesus never says that. Jesus says, hey, look, be like me. And I'm going to empower you to be like me. He, he modeled it for us. God didn't, didn't just say, hey, those Ten Commandments you know, we were talking about earlier, here they are. Now go do it. Good luck. It's not what He did. He made a way. From the very beginning, He made the way. He chose us. Then He actually came put on flesh, died, for, modeled it, show, he did. He showed us how to live. And then he died for us, and then he sends his spirit to empower us so that we may live for him and with him for eternity. God desires us to grow up and be like him. He wants us to be holy and blameless. And there are four stages. If you have grown up in church, or around church, you, you probably have heard these terms. There are really four stages to the Christian life. There's justification. That's what happens at the beginning. You know, justification and regeneration. Those two things happen in pretty close to the same time, all right? Um, we're justified by Christ. We're regenerated by the Spirit. So we're justified. We believe in Jesus, that He is the sacrifice and the atonement for our sin, and the Spirit regenerates us changes us, and then there's this process of sanctification that begins, that we start growing in likeness to Christ. We're maturing in the faith, walking in Him, and then there's the fun part. The, the, the best part, glorification. That's what happens at the end, and that's when we're all really made to be like Him. So we're justified, we're regenerated, we're sanctified. That's where we're living right now, okay? We're all in that process, the process of the Spirit working in us and through us to make us, what? Holy. More and more like Jesus. One of the best definitions that I've read on sanctification comes from the New Hampshire Baptist Confession back in 1833. It states, We believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of His holiness, that it is a progressive work, that it is begun in regeneration and that it is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter in the continual use of the appointed means, especially the Word of God, self-examination, self-denial, watchfulness, and prayer. As the definition indicates, it is a progressive work, a continual work, meaning what? That we should be holier today than we were yesterday. That's really what it means, that we're, that we're growing. Now, let's be, just, let's be real. 
there's some days you're not very holy, are you? You're just not. I'm not. Boy, we have bad days. It's kind of like if you're, if you're watching your retirement or your investment accounts, it's not good to watch it every day, is it? It's downright depressing sometimes to watch it every day. So what's the best way? Let's check on it maybe end of the week, maybe over the month. You know, the end of the month, let's get that report and look at it. Because there's a lot of crazy activity that can go on in a week, right? So from day to day, man, you're just, one day you're up, next day you're like, we're broke. That's it. We're done. And the next day, oh man, we had an awesome day. Let's go on a cruise. I mean, that's, that's sort of how that, that floats, right? So what's, what's the best way to look at it? Let's kind of step back and let's look at what's happening over time. So, are you holier this month than you were last month? Are you holier at this year than you were last year? Do you see growth and maturity in your life? Because that's what should be happening in our lives. And if it's not, the, the warning bells should be going off. That something's wrong, something's not right. You know, it's, it's just like whenever you take your kids to the doctor. What do they do? They measure their height. They take their weight to see if they're growing. Those are indicators of growth of something good. It's supposed to happen. Now, when you reach a certain age and that growth still keeps happening in certain areas, the doctor tells you what? That's not so good. Okay? So there's always indicators in life that tell you whether something's good or not good. We should be able to look back over our lives and go, you know what, I have grown. I'm not talking about in a cocky, kind of arrogant, you know, I'm more holy. If you're like that, I mean, we all know you really, you're, you've missed the whole point. And that's what, I mean, this isn't about us looking and going, oh, look how holy I am. Because if, if we begin to focus on how holy we are, then we've missed the point, and then holiness becomes our idol rather than holy God. You see how that happens? So can we look back over our lives and see a progression? And odds are, it's not going to be a straight line going up, like, or a diagonal line that, that doesn't you know, move. It's, it's, it's going to be more like this. And hopefully along the way, it's, it's slowly moving upward as we're growing in Christ. It's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. So whenever those messy days and weeks happen, there's still hope, right? We have Jesus. And He is our holiness. But we're to strive to be holy like Him. And we can because He's given us His Spirit. So how can we be holy? Only in Christ and by the power of His Spirit. And, and apart from the ongoing work in the Spirit, of the Spirit in our, in our lives, apart from that, we, we really don't have any hope. But He's given us that. Which means, what should we do daily? There should be this continual yielding to His leading and prompting in our life. Paul says that we should be holy and blameless. How are we blameless? How does that happen? Well, the word blameless here is referring to, you might guess, the sacrificial animals presented on the altar back during the Old Testament days. And the animals were, they were free from any blemish, no marks, no spots. They were as perfect as they could be. So how will we ever be completely free of spot or blemish? Only by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
1 Peter 1, 18-19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is also how he wants his bride to be, his church. Ephesians 5.27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So how does that affect our daily life, right? How, do, how is this real? How do, how do we flesh that out? This is really a poor comparison, but you know, as you just think about your life, you, you think, think about your home. Let's, just, let's use that for an example. You're thinking about your house. We should strive to keep our homes in order to some degree. Now, if, if you've got kids, you know what a challenge that is. You just know. I mean, you just never know what that's going to be like. And I mean, we're all busy with you know, work and schedules and just craziness. But we should strive to keep things in order. That's good to have that in place, teaches Teaches responsibility, shows that we value things, shows that, you know, that we're people of order, God's a person of order, we should be that way and our, our lives should reflect that as well. It also makes our homes hospitable. Um, if our homes are in complete disarray, we're, we're not going to be very likely to invite people over to our homes, right? We're not. Now that doesn't mean your home has to be perfect. That's a side note, but just know that. Your home doesn't have to be perfect for everybody to come over. I mean, it's okay sometimes if you've got stuff laying around. But, but here's the benefit when things are in order. When something's constantly in order or there's a system or a process to something you do, when something gets out of whack, it stands out, doesn't it? It stands out. If your home is, is, is neat and tidy and something's out of place, it stands out, doesn't it? Your attention goes to that. The same is true in our life. When we live lives that are ordered, good lives in the sense of there's, there's a process, there's a system in place. When things get out of order or there's something out of place, it stands out. I don't know if you're tracking with me on that. I hope you are. It, it just shows. It stands out. I mean, if, if you begin to have that daily time in the Word, daily time in prayer, all of a sudden, it's like you're putting on a pair of glasses and you're able to see things in your life. It sort of, it sort of just brings everything into focus. And then you're able to address those things. and You're able to spot sin. I remember very vividly the very first time in my life where this became such a reality to me that I was so afraid of sin affecting my relationship with Christ. Um, I, I hope that there were times before this, but you know, I just this is a time that I remember in my life. I was scared to death of sin affecting my relationship with Jesus. And I was, I was spending some time down in Central Florida with some church planting work. And, and just my time with Jesus during those weeks had just been so sweet and so good. And God was growing me in, in ways and that, that I desperately needed to grow. And I just remember... I remember temptation coming in my life in various ways, and it just sickened me. It did just the thought of it. Not, not just because of what it was. 
but that it would somehow interfere and, and, and damage the relationship, the communication that I had going with God at the time. I didn't want anything to interfere with that. I, I hope you've had times like that in your life. I hope you have that now. The truth is there are going to be times where that's going to be more real and times where it, it'll probably back off a little bit and then times it's going to be you know, more real again. But let's pray in that way. Let's work so that we're, our lives, we're living in such a way that we see sin for what it is. It stands out and we don't want to have anything to do with it because we're striving for holiness and we're striving to be like Jesus and we don't want anything to get in the way of that. I mean, it's a lot like, you remember your dating years and how yeah, no obstacle was going to get in the way of you spending time with that person you were in love with. Nothing. You were willing to go around the moon to spend time. I hope that, that we can all get to the point where it's that way with us and God. That we see that obstacle there that's, that's standing in the way of sin, and we go, I, I'm not having anything to do with that. I'm going, I'm getting away from it. I'm leaving it alone. I'm not going to play with it. I'm not going to dabble with it because I don't want it interfering with my relationship with Jesus at all. And if nothing else, the truth that Paul has been giving us here from Ephesians should cause us to live our life as a blessing and praise to God who made us clean. Just stop and think about who you were before Jesus. Unworthy. Unworthy. Oh, we were so nasty and dirty and repulsive to God. And yet God made us clean at great cost to Himself. He made us without spot or blemish with the precious blood of His Son. The blood of Christ was beyond costly, and we should be holy and blameless before Him for the world to see that God is exactly who He says He is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. Remember, it is not the world, it's not your accomplishments, nor anyone in the world that's your source of blessing. It's not. Your source of blessing is not your job. It's not relationships you have. It's not money in the bank account. It's not those things. Your source is Christ alone. He's our source. It is in Him that we are chosen. It is in Him that we are adopted. It is in Him that we are accepted. We don't see ourselves this way often, but just think about it. Prior to Jesus, you were completely unacceptable. Completely. We don't look in the mirror and go, man, I'm just unacceptable. We look in the mirror and we say, well, well, you know, people are more like me. Apart from Jesus, every one of us in this room are horribly unacceptable. But he has made us acceptable to a perfect God. So this week as you walk through your day-to-day -day activities, remember that Christ is your source. Not those other things. You're going to have bad days this week. You're going to have good days this week. You're going to have mediocre days this week. Don't let that affect how you act, how you react, what you do, what you don't do. Because remember, Christ is your source. Christ is your all.
your all. And, and we should be holy and blameless before Him. And we can be because of who He is and who we are now in Him, a saint. Remember how Paul addressed the Ephesians? Hey, saints, you're now a saint because of Jesus, who He is, what He's done, and because the Spirit is now empowering you to live a life that is holy and blameless before God. Let's 